Good morning and welcome. I'm really, really uh, challenged by today's scripture. I'm challenged by where the Lord's going to take us. <laughs> I'm challenged by not adding to it. I struggled through this week quite a bit, and the Lord just kept saying, just tell the story. It's my story. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take some time to just really go through the scriptures. If you have your Bibles with you, um, we'll be in Philippians chapter 2, so you can get ready, because we're going to talk about what Paul is trying to tell the church of Philippi and what the Lord wants us to see today. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your inspired word. And specifically, we thank you for the book of Philippians. Thank you that Paul took the time to write down what you were putting on his heart. Thank you, Lord. I pray that we would see what you want us to see today. We would hear what you want us to hear. And that we would willingly enter in to whatever you want us to enter into. In Jesus' name, amen. So we titled this passage, He Was Willing. I titled this passage, He Was Willing, because remember, it's all about me. And so, um, because when we start this passage, and what we've been seeing through Philippians is really, Paul is telling the church of Philippi, okay, you guys, I've got some really direct things to tell you. It matters. It matters, and, I, and so we've been walking through the book of Philippians, and listen to some of the things that we have been hearing as we walk through the book of Philippians. Be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And I'm just picking up passages that we've been reading through the first chapter of Philippians. The important thing is that in every way, Christ is preached so we know our goal, we know our reason, we know our why. Why is Paul so adamant about what he's telling us? It's for the advancement of the gospel and that Christ is preached. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And remember we talked about how that's really a matter of the heart. How's your heart? Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Stick together fight to be for each other because our flesh would want us to be offended and our flesh would want us to do other things. Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and purpose. And so Paul is weaving this story already in the book of Philippians that is absolutely brilliantly versed. It's extraordinarily composed. He's such an excellent writer and such an excellent communicator. And then we get to today's passage. We, we've already been through so much that is so rich. And he says, okay, if that's not enough, let me give you this. <laughs> if that's not quite convincing, let's keep going because I have more. You want more? I got more. It's, it's non-exhaustive with God. It, it, I don't know if that's the right way to say that. It is, yeah, it's not exhaustive with God. There's always more. And then we get to today's passage. So we're in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Morgan, did you see that? I used the wrong thing. But before we get there, <laughs> I want to ask us a question. Remember that we're talking about attitude 
and um, humility and how it's a posture and about how um, that we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospels, a manner of the heart. So this is the question that I think we need to ask before we get going today. And where is your most comfortable place? Where do you feel like, I don't ever want to leave here because I love being here? I feel content. I feel safe. I feel at peace. I'm comfortable. And I don't want to leave it because it's where I'm supposed to be. For me, it looks something like this. If I was in that hammock, I would need a sheet to put over my head, too, so I could completely not let the world see me. But that would be something that would be, I would never want to leave this place. Maybe for you, it's by the fire. A nice, cozy fire, good slippers, hot cocoa. You know, you can kind of, when you talk about it, you can kind of feel what it might be like to be there. For some of us, it could be like this, especially if you're from Minnesota. I asked my son this question just to see if it would translate. And he said, right away, he said, in a boat on the lake. That's where I would want to be and I would never want to come off of it. How about this? In your favorite couch at home, in your living room. Who has a favorite chair or a favorite place you sit in your house? (laughs) I do too. Mine's being reupholstered right now. I had thought that it had ripped because it's like 12 years old. And so we put it out in the front yard because we were going to burn it. And um, it completely discombobulated my quiet time with God. Because that's where I sat for 10 years with, and I, it was such a rhythm, and it was so good for me, and I, obviously I like rhythm and, and um, plans and being in order. And so finally I said to Scott, I go, I can't do this. And so he looked up online, because he's you know, still home, and so he's doing all this fabulous research, and he found Tony in St. Paul. So we went down to Tony, and Tony's reupholstering my chair right now, because I have to have my chair. So that's a very comfortable place for me. Maybe it's just being in nature and being outside. Imagine it. Can you feel it? What does it feel like to you to be there? Tell me some of the words. Peaceful. Grounded. Quiet. Surrounded by God. Good one, Diane. Surrounded by God. Imagine that. Now hold on to that as we begin today's passage. And we're going to begin with, chap- with verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This is what Paul wants us to see today. He wants us to see in the next few passages who Jesus was, what he modeled for us, and what his attitude was like. Remember, Paul is talking to the church of Philippi who's broken and they're, they're separated and he's saying, no, 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 have this attitude among you. And then he gets to this place where he says the attitude of Jesus is the epitome of what we should be looking to and what we should be modeling. So what was this attitude anyways? And that's where we come upon this credible story in six verses. Six through eight, nine through 11. We get to this story of who Jesus was, what he did, the future glory. And Paul is saying this. This is the attitude we want you to have. 
He's trying to communicate it to Philippi, and I think he's tr- God is trying to communicate it to us. Verse 6, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He's talking about Jesus, who is talking about Christ, being in very nature God. Being God is who he is. It's his nature. Incarnate Jesus is not devoid of God. Jesus is God. It's one of the reasons why the Pharisees wanted to kill him. Not because he did miracles, which are the works of a God, but because he claimed he was God. He was born of the Father. At his baptism, the Father came down and said, This is my son. I said to Scott, I said, It's like, you know, when Zeus had a son, he was still a God. And they would understand this with pagan gods that a son of a God is still God. How can you claim to be God? It's blasphemy. For that you will be stoned. So he, Jesus, being God, is on the throne. He's in perfect fellowship with the Father, perfect fellowship with the Spirit. He's in his perfect place. He's in a place that is so comfortable to him. It's where he's supposed to be. It's what he was created to do, is fellowship in the Trinity. And this God comes down to earth in the flesh. Why did he do that? One of the things we see about his attitude and the reason that he did it is because he was willing. He had to say yes to this. He had to have the attitude and the posture of being willing. It says here that it didn't, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, which is a really hard word to say. He didn't cling to it. He didn't hold on to it and say, no, you can't make me. I'm not going from this comfortable place. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus was willing. He said, yes, I will go. He knew that he wasn't supposed to cling to that, but there was another plan for him. There was another thing that had to happen in the, in the whole plan of humanity. This is the biggest story in the scripture. This is gospel being preached. He was willing to descend from there, to descend from his comfortable place. And then we get to verse 7. This is what he did. He made himself nothing. Not only did he leave his comfortable place, (laughs) but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. You can see in the previous verse, being in very nature God to nature of a servant. Who's willing to do that? This passage was so heavy on my heart. Being made in human likeness doesn't mean that Jesus stopped being God. Paul's trying to help the church understand the gravity of this all. (laughs) In these six verses, we have the story of all stories. It's amazing to me that we have a picture of the God, the one God, saying, I'm willing, I'm going to go do this. This is part of my purpose and part of my destiny. I'm going to do this. 
Paul's saying, look, <laughs> look at this attitude of Christ. He gave up his most comfortable place. Listen to what, Matthew, what Jesus says in Matthew 20. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Is that attitude? That's attitude. So when Paul is saying, have the attitude of Christ, here it is. Jesus himself says it. Give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus himself said, I came to serve. Verse 8 in our Philippians chapter. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why would Paul say even death on a cross? It's a criminal's death. It's a humiliating death. It's a death that nobody would want to endure, not only because of the pain, but because he was stripped naked, and it was shameful, and it was humiliating, and he was being tried and persecuted as a criminal from which he committed no crime. They said, we'll show you. We'll put an end to you. We'll put an end to what you have. This is what Jesus was willing to do. Why? Why would he do this? I said this, Scott, I said, this is the part that moves me. He was willing to do this because he cares. He wasn't doing it to, be, to exalt himself. He wasn't doing it so that he could go down in the history books as being this really cool dude that did, you know, that died a martyr's death. He did this for the joy set before him, like we studied in Hebrews. He did this for us. He did this for you and for me. Humility. God did not lose any value by doing this. Remember what Brendan said last week? He said that he defined humility and he said, uh, it is putting others before you, not in the area of value, but in the area of care. When Jesus did this, when Jesus, the Son of God, came down and did this, he did not take on any less value. And when we are willing and when we are servants and when we follow Christ, we're not taking on any less value. This is the model. <laughs> this is the attitude. Because in my mind, I think, well, if I'm a servant, then I'm less than. If I'm a servant, then I have to do what everybody tells me to do and I am not my own person and I have no value. But that's not what's modeled here. What's modeled here for Jesus is I have all the value I could have and I'm a servant. That is the attitude Paul wants us to see. Look at Jesus. Look at the servant that he chose to be. This is the attitude I want you to have. This is the attitude that would be best serving for us and obedience. Look at what obedience looks like. Matthew 26, 39. And going a little farther, he, being Jesus, fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
I got nothing on this. My fleshly obedience seems to always have a little piece of personal self-gratification in it. What will I get from it? What will I benefit from it? And I think that's one of the reasons why this week's been so hard is because I do this so imperfectly. But this, this is just the, the best example. If we can be a church that says, not my will, and really mean it, but your will be done, I don't think we can even fathom <laughs> the kinds of glory things we will see. It's a hard word. Listen to this. No one takes it from me. This is Jesus. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Do you know what we have? We have free will. We get to choose whether or not we're willing. I don't know why he did that. <laughs> well, I kind of do, but we're not going there. But wouldn't it be easier sometimes if, sometimes if we just say, will you just tell me what to do so I don't have to make any decisions? <laughs> but what do we gain from that? When we gain the posture of being willing and we put ourselves in the posture of saying, I'm choosing to do this, what does that do? So what do we see? We see an attitude of humility, surrender, obedience. Think about, think about what happens when we're not willing. <laughs> if we have this posture of like, you can't make me, you can't make me, you can't make me. Scott often refers to the scene in Gilligan's Island. I, pretty dating myself. Anybody watch Gilligan's Island? Okay, good. I got enough. <laughs> but they needed Gilligan to dress up as a woman for some reason. I can't remember exactly why. Was, they wanted to get off the island, obviously. That's probably a fat pitch. They, they want to get off the island, and, and it's a scene where Gilligan is in his normal dress, and he's standing there, and he's like, you can't make me, you can't make me, you can't make me, and the screen changes, and he's all dressed up as a woman. You can't make me, you can't make me, you can't make me. If that's our posture, what do we do? We, we enter into frustration, we enter into rebellion. We enter into disobedience. We enter into not walking in the fruit of the glory that God has for us. We, what else happens when we stick our heels in the ground and say no when the Lord is saying yes? We miss out. But all of a sudden the Lord says, I'm asking this of you. There was one time when the Lord told me, he said, don't fight back. Everything in my nature is a fighter. Everything. And the Lord says to me, don't fight back. What are you asking of me? It's all I know how to do. And he said, don't fight back. And when I got to the place where I said, okay, I'm going to fight to not fight back. <laughs> You kind of have to like get that, you have to get that flesh under control and go, no, you're not going to fight back. You're not going to slander back. You're not going to say words back. You're not going to say what's on your mind and give them a piece of your mind. And you're not going to do any of that. I have to fight to keep that in, in check. 
I didn't ask him if I could tell this story, but I am. Um, <laughs> Because I don't want to bring self-glorification for this. It's just about the posture of willing versus not willing. But then when I finally was willing and I, and I made it through that season and I didn't fight back, I look back and I say, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for telling me what you wanted me to do. And thank you for giving me whatever I needed to follow that. Because the fruit of it was far beyond what the fruit would have been if I would have fought back. Willingness is a gift. He was willing. I can't not ask this question. Are we? I can't go through a passage like this and with Paul saying, have this attitude among you, go through the passage and saying, well, that, what is the attitude? Well, the attitude is Jesus was willing. I, we can't not ask, are we? In what areas of our lives are we not willing? In what areas of our lives are we dragging our feet? Are we willing to leave our comfort zone and humble ourselves and live in obedience completely? Because here's the thing. I'm not saying we need to do it perfectly. I don't think Paul's saying we need to do it perfectly. Because he didn't say, behave this way. He said, have this attitude. And the attitude is, I'm willing. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's doable, but it's not complete. It's asked of us, but it's not forced. We have a choice to lay our lives down or not. Jesus knows all of this. He knows it's not easy. He knows it's not complete. And he knows that he was not forced, but he willingly did it. But be encouraged. <laughs> Philippians 1, 6, Paul writes, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Woo! Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you never leave us where we're at, and you will finish the work that you started. He is not asking of, of us to be perfect. He's asking us to be set apart. He's asking us to be holy. That means his. And he's asking us to be willing. That's the question we need to answer. Are we willing? And then we get to verse 9. This is the glory part and part of the gospel story. The first part is so magnificent because of these next three verses. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. In Matthew 20, we see a story of the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And the mother of the sons of Zebedee say to Jesus, she says to Jesus, can one of my sons have the place on your right side? And can one of my sons have the place on your left side? What is she doing? She is trying to exalt her sons and put them in places of position. She's trying to say, my sons, if I finagle this, if I manipulate this just right, come on, let's, who else loves to manipulate their situations so that it works out for your benefit? Okay, I'm the only one. Um, <laughs> if I could do this for them, they will have places of honor and they will be exalted for all time. 
She's trying to position them to where she wants them to be. She went straight to the top to get it. Straight to Jesus. And hard questions, unavoidable, is what places do we want? Where do we want to be exalted for the sake of our own glory? When I was probably in seventh or eighth grade, I used to party in the woods. And <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. And um, we were in, I think it was over on like by Dale Street and 36, and there was a bike path through the woods, and all the guys were riding their bikes and going over these little jumps and, you know, all these things. To me, it looked like, you know, the jumps were like 20 feet tall, but they were probably about a foot tall. And I had this brilliant idea. I'll show them. I grew up on snowmobiles. I grew up on motorbikes and, and you know, all this stuff, and I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to ride the bike. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. They'll think I'm so cool. <laughs> so I, I said, let me try that. So I get on this bike, and I'm going, and I'm going as fast as I can because I, I thought, in my mind, I'm thinking, I have to go as fast as I can in order to have the best jump ever in order to impress these people. And so I'm riding as fast as I can, and I go up over this jump. You know, I'm like going like this when it was like, you know, that. And my wheel turned when I came down, and I face planted into the dirt. I had dirt up my nose and dirt in my ear, and, and I felt like I broke my neck. And, and I looked up, and everyone was laughing. And for some reason, it's a fond memory. <laughs> I used to think I'd have to go back for inner healing on that one, but it's a fond memory. And I think one of the reasons is because it was just purely entertaining. And it was okay, but I was reminded of this. Of I was trying to exalt myself, and look what happened. It crashed. It burned. And I wasn't the cool kid. Never was the cool kid, darn it. When we exalt ourselves for position, sometimes we'll try and exalt ourselves and establish our position of being right. Sometimes for recognition, status, all kinds of different reasons. It's never fulfilling. It's always empty. Verse 10 that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is why Jesus was willing. For the joy set before him, which is you and I, and to glorify his Father. So when we ask the question, are we willing, we can ask, is it for the joy of others around us? Is it for our community? Is it for the church? Is it for the lost and does it glorify the Father? I think that's a great litmus test. I think that's a great way to say, how's my attitude? Is this what's happening? And there we have Paul telling this story. He preaches the gospel right here in these six verses. He gives the church of Philippi, and he gives us, its future leader, readers of this letter, an example of Jesus and what's to follow. We're approaching Easter. <laughs> what a great season for us to be in this passage and to be thinking about what is the Lord asking of us? 
What is the Lord asking us as we go for glory? And because it is the celebration of all celebrations. Because Jesus was exalted because the Father exalted him. It is the celebration of all celebrations. It's the perfect ending. Not even, it's not even the ending, but you know what I mean, to this Easter story. It's the perfect celebration. So we should celebrate it. We should um, clap for it. We should jump for it. We should wave flags for it. We should, we, should jump, we should jump for joy because of what it is. Because without this exaltation, it's not the complete Easter story. And we're coming up to that season for us. It's good for us as the church to celebrate what Jesus has done. I said earlier that I was overwhelmed by what this message was doing. I was overwhelmed by the magnitude of it. And I thought, what do you want me to focus on, Lord? And he said, just tell the story. He'll do the work. Pay attention to what's going on in your heart right now and in your mind. I'm overwhelmed by how often I miss the mark. But he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. I'm overwhelmed with the value God has placed on each one of us to do such a selfless thing for us. We matter enough. You matter enough for him to come away from his comfort zone and die a criminal's death. He was compelled by love. He was compelled by love. He was willing for you, for me, and for the glory of our Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you, Lord, that in these short six verses, we have an example that invites us and challenges us all in one place. Lord, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts and know where we're willing to say yes to you, where we need to humble ourselves and become obedient so that the gospel can be preached and the Father can be glorified. Nothing else needs to be added to this, Lord. It's your word, and it's your ultimate story. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. Lord, I pray over the offering that you would bless it, multiply it, (laughs) so that we can walk together, stick together, and have the attitude of Jesus so that the world will know. So that the world will know. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let the nation sing it louder Cause nothing else